We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? We got a special edition of One Royal Way here for you on Kansas City Sports Network. My name is Joel Penfield. Uh, You're hearing this a little earlier than you're used to your episodes. The Royal-specific show will be later this week. I think it'll be out on Friday. Uh, For today, we're going to have a little bit of a special episode. As many of you know, it is Mental Health Awareness Month here in the month of May. So we are going to have a conversation about baseball and the intersection of that with mental health. And I have two amazing people here to help me do that. First, Austin Byler. CEO of Major League University, an organization that helps in the mental performance and mental skills uh, for baseball players, softball players all around the country. Uh, Played at University of Nevada, Reno, got drafted by the Arizona Diamondbacks, played a couple of years there. Uh, So he's going to be joining us. And then Jared Perkins, jack of all trades, this up at RoyalsFarmReport.com, prospects live, and then in his day-to-day job, uh, works with uh, on the federal side. Uh, like with the government and other uh, major, you know, health areas and mental health policy and things of that nature. I hope I didn't butcher that, Jared. Uh, but the, it's this is a very important topic to them. It's a very important topic to me talking about uh, mental health and mental health advocacy. So I can't thank you guys enough for joining me today. Fired up to be here, man. We're super excited and thanks for having us. Yeah, appreciate you having us on and doing an episode just based on this important topic. Yeah, absolutely. It really is something that I've been thinking about for a long time, about wanting to do something like this. And I've been given a great platform here at KCSN to be able to do that. And I can't thank DJ enough for for giving me the opportunity to do this. Uh, Before we get into the conversation, though, this show, as always, brought to you by Kansas City Strength and Conditioning. Let's hear a quick word from them. From the beginning, we knew right away that we wanted to do strength conditioning and a throwing program for the baseball and softball community. It wasn't something we were trying to back into or all of a sudden learn. We knew we were really good at these coaching these skills from the get-go. And the fact that we're in the same business and the employees are all on the same page, you know, we can write a program based off of what a kid needs, not just getting him stronger or faster from a general sense. It's what does this kid need? On the pitching end, we can say, hey, this kid needs such and such. He needs to do this or that better. A lot of times it turns out it's not something that needs to be fixed in the baseball cage or on the throwing mound, it actually needs to be fixed in the weight room. Thank you again to KCSC, as always, for sponsoring this show. You got a uh, baseball softball player in the Kansas City area. Be sure to go check them out. 
All right. So to start off this conversation, I guess we'll do a little bit of an introduction uh, for you know guys that you know listeners that may not know who you both are and, and your journeys here. Austin, we'll start with you. Uh, you so you played a little bit of pro ball and kind of moved into this role. Uh, talk about your your journey a little bit. Yeah, Joel. Well, uh, first and foremost, man, thanks for having us here. Um, for me, kind of played at the University of Nevada, Reno, um, 2011 to 15. Had the opportunity to be drafted twice um, in 2014 by the Nationals. Decided to go back to school, and then was drafted by the Diamondbacks in 2015. Um, chose to go, obviously being a senior in high school, or senior in college, kind of have to go in a way. And so uh, went out with Diamondbacks dream come true, being a hometown kid in Phoenix, Arizona, and just always watching the Diamondbacks from when they first started to to now even. And so. Um, for me, got to go into the professional ranks for a couple of years. I um, played about three and a half years there in the Diamondbacks system, um, was released in 2018, went out to play a little indie ball for about a month, was released there. And then I, I just had this desire and burning passion when we were sitting there. It was a crazy story. We we're in a uh, retirement home is where we were living. So they housed three of us on the team. And thankfully, I was one of the three that got housed there. And uh, we, while we were living there, we came up with this idea of, hey, let's start something for mental health and help athletes through mental health and mindset and, and different things, mental skill wise. Um, it was really kind of foreign to us at the time, but I dealt with it myself, just going through anxiety, depression and addiction and seeing a lot of my teammates doing the same thing. And that's where we found a major league university in 2018 to go help athletes at all levels, all ages through the mindset, mental performance and mental health uh, just across the country. So it's been a, a crazy whirlwind of events, man. And now we're here in 2022 and seeing a lot of good growth and uh, I hope impacting a lot of lives. That's that's really awesome. Um, I love that you were inspired to do that. And that's part of the reason why you're sitting here today with me, because it, it means a lot to me as well. And something I want to get into at some point. Jared, you do stuff a little more on the professional side, like on the, the legality of mental health policy and advocacy and stuff. So talk through that a little bit. Oh, and you have some baseball background too, obviously. Yeah. So I, I they kind of both intersected. I started working out off in baseball, um, worked for the Kansas City Royals for a few years. And then uh, when I got to college, transitioned, worked for the, the Arizona State College team and Nevada College baseball team. But at the time, while I was going to school, I was still a political science major. So I had the, the, the combo going. And I just, as I started getting into my career um, in policy, I developed a passion for healthcare policy a lot through a mentor that we both have in Jake Wiskirchen, who runs a, a marriage, and family, uh, family, marriage and family therapy clinic out in Reno. And so I've always was trying to figure out, okay, how can we impact people? This is a huge unmet need across the United States. And how can we find ways that we can really bridge the gap and get people access to care? And I noticed um, with a lot of the stories like that came out with Drew Robinson and then Danny Duffy and then all, multiple baseball players all started talking about the mental health battles that they were having while playing the game. And that's when I was like, okay, there's got to be an opportunity to share these stories more widely. And that's when I started writing a little bit more about the human side of baseball, covering like minor league housing, um, covering players losing their identity while they're playing the sport. And that's what really kind of led me to work with Austin, a major league university, just because of their mission to provide these mental skills to the next generation at a young age. So when they get to that potential level of being in college or being um, at the pro level, they have those mental skills to help them um kind of get through those battles and the same thing um for life as well so it's not just in the game but how can they utilize those mental skills to help them with everyday life that's that's really good stuff uh, that's awesome so for me so i played baseball from the time i was uh t-ball all the way through high school i was never fantastic but the passionately loved the game of baseball and still do to this day 
and I always struggle with the mental side of the game. That was always like the biggest thing that I, that hurt me so much. And I never really, I didn't realize it too much until I got older that it was anxiety and depression, even from a young kid, you know, at nine, 10 years old, that that was the biggest reason why I was struggling. And it took me until I was 25, really getting back into going to therapy and talking through some of this stuff that realizing how significant that was for me at a young age, that it wasn't just the mental side of the game, it was the mental health of myself that I didn't understand. So that's why I want to do this here now for people that maybe had similar issues or they have it in their personal life and they don't understand what it was. And this can be a light to somebody. I, I don't know, but it, it took a lot of soul searching, a lot of understanding to, you know, going back years and years and years to understand how difficult this game is. And we talk, people talk about it all the time. Baseball is 90% mental and it's so true. And yeah. To when you're and when you're struggling with your own mental health, it makes it that much worse and that much harder. So, I guess so. Austin, can you talk a little bit more about that of the professional side of how you you talked about your own experiences with anxiety and depression? How difficult was that for you, especially when you got into pro ball, um, dealing with that? How did you how did you cope with it in any way? I guess? Yeah, it was really tough, man. The, the first way that I coped with it was using prescription medications, and uh, unfortunately, it was. I don't want to say it was enforced or allowed, but it was um, easily looked over in the clubhouse. And, and there were a lot of situations where you can get away with doing those things because everybody's looking for an outlet. Um, my outlet just happened to be prescription medications. Some other people's outlet was drinking at the bar till 2, 3 a.m., right? So everybody had their own type of coping mechanism within it. But I saw a lot of people who were just struggling trying to find their own identity. And it was so wrapped up in the wins and the loss, the hits or the not hits, the good outing or the bad outing instead of who you are as a person and what your mission and what your values are on life. And so that was a real eye opener for me. And um, I struggled with it for a long time, man. But in 2018, I was introduced to this pastor, um, this fellowship of the Christian athletes down in Arizona. And this guy invited me to a Bible study. I didn't know what it was about. And I went and it was a bunch of other pro dudes, a couple like two, three time World Series winners sitting there sharing their same stories, battles and their things that they've dealt with in their past. And it was like, man, you're speaking my language. Like I literally just went through all this. I'm going through it right now. And so at that moment, I felt like I had a brotherhood and, and a connection with other people who could relate to me and who were dealing with some of those same pressures and struggles and stresses that I was dealing with as a professional athlete. And um, going into that next spring, I started a, a, the gratitude journal. I started slowly with my meditation and gratitude and just kind of starting to build some, some more skills into my life that were more productive. And I started to see this huge shift in my mindset, huge shift in, in my mentality and my energy. And I uh, took it into that spring season, man. And that's really where everything started to shape. I always joke I had the worst year of my life in indie balls, like 452. You know, I was hitting horrible, but I was the happiest I've ever been because I finally found my identity in something outside of the sport. And that passion started to fade away. And so um, I just think so many athletes struggle with that. And it's hard because it's performance based. And then you have the pressure that you put on yourself and maybe some external from your parents or family members or coaches and other people that are counting on you, or at least you feel like they are. Instead of just going out there and enjoying the game like it's a kid's game when you're playing wiffle ball when you're 10 years old in the backyard, right? So that was kind of um, that first moment getting into that. But uh, that's really been our main mission, man, as to how do we help more athletes get access to things like this. And then hear a personal testimony. I mean, you can learn everything in the classroom, but unless you go through it, you don't know exactly how it feels. You can have the perfect antidote in your in your master's degree, but guess what? When you go through that experience, you got to find a way to get through it and you find that support system. That is the ultimate um, cure and healing process. So I think for me, it's just sharing that experience. Like, look, I'm not some crazy um, doctorate in this stuff, but I have life experience in it. And I know what it looks like and I know the things that I've dealt with and how you can help 
get yourself on that right track. Jared, you don't have anything to add? Like, yeah, I mean, you? I went through a lot of my same struggles as well. Uh, a lot of it kind of kicked off during the pandemic and uh, came kind of to a realization while I was just sitting around with a group of friends on Zoom um, that I needed to go get more help than I actually, not just talking to my friends. It was great to have that outlet with the friends and it was great to have people there for you. But at some point you need to kind of go and seek out professional help. And that's kind of where my journey started um, with trying to find confidence within myself. Like I was not happy with who I was as a, a person. And it like took me going through therapy and working through those things to get to those uh, certain points. I think the big thing that Austin touched on too is when the players kind of get that lost identity, they, they just start forgetting who they are um, outside of the game. And I think the one thing when I did an article on, or we interviewed Brewer Hicklin for the Major League University podcast at he's a minor league prospect with the Kansas City Royals. He said, one thing that really shifted his mindset is just remembering that at the day, end of the day, when you go home, the people that love you still love you, no matter how you do on the field or off the field. Yeah, it, it's a constant battle in any walk of life, right? Yeah. Like, there's no, unfortunate, no, no, unfortunate, there's no, like, cure for it. You're, I mean, I'm sure even, you know, everybody goes through those ups and downs. I'm going through the down right now. It's just kind of mm -hmm. where I'm at in my life. Um, and it's, it took me a long time to feel like I wasn't ashamed of who I was. Because I think when you, when you feel that anxiousness, you feel that depression, you think you're alone. And you think, like, I'm just, you know. I'm worthless. Like, I, I don't know what I am. Like, I, and I still go through that, but I think now I'm at a point where sure I may feel that way, but I'm not ashamed of it anymore. Like it's a part of who I am and I want to use that to talk to people and be okay with recovering loudly and being okay with talking about it. like on this platform. Yeah. Um, I don't think I would have ever done that two years ago or even six months ago. I don't know if I'd ever do this. So. Um, yeah. And I think the one thing that, stuck out to me too in some of our interviews is uh tyson ross talked about how everybody around him fell in love like the player he was and the success that he was having on the field and he's like people started to love him more for the athlete than the person so i think it makes it even harder for players when they're starting to try to figure out what to do next in life when they get released from baseball where their success was what was bringing people around them and people were coming behind them because of their success and then all of a sudden when that success disappears well, who's really sticking around? And I think that a lot of the times I'm sure players go through losing friends or losing family members or things like that, because all of a sudden they have to figure out what to do next in life. And there's not that transition coming out of baseball to help them. There's no there's not much for career transitions to get players out and move on to the the, the next step in life. And I think there's a lot of just being lost and awesome. You can probably talk about it more as soon as you probably find out that you're being released. Like what what what's next? It's, it's crazy because you walk into the clubhouse and your locker's not there. It's filled with somebody else's name and somebody else's stuff. And it's 7 a.m. in the morning. And you're like, whoa, where'd my stuff go? I was just in this locker room right here. And then first instinct, you're like, okay, I probably got released. But then like the optimist in you is like, I'm going to check every other locker room to see if my name got moved somewhere else. Because sometimes they move it around or maybe got moved up or moved down. And that's okay. And I remember just walking through each clubhouse, all four of them. And I don't see my name anywhere. And then I go into the clubby and they're like, hey, man, we're sorry, but you were released this morning. Here's your bags. They're perfectly packed. Probably better than I pack them. And then you leave, you walk out, and then you see all your friends and teammates coming in as you're leaving. And everybody starts crying. And it's just a crazy deal. But, Jared, you hit it on the head, man. 
um, who are you after the game ends? Like when the game leaves you, who are you? When your job leaves you, who are you? When your cool title leaves you, who are you? And I think a lot of people in our world find value in their titles or the the business plans or the structures that they have instead of just being that person that you're meant to be. Like Jared said, man, it's so powerful when you find that. And when you do find that, you step into your greatest version of yourself and you can truly be genuine with other people. So um, I think things like you're doing, man, are so powerful. So uh, I, I mentioned it at the very beginning of this, like baseball is an incredibly mental game and it feels like that's even more exacerbated by what, you know, the minor leagues and things are getting better now, but I, you know, and I can't imagine how many like guys that you were playing with Austin, there were like seven dudes in a two bedroom apartment and you're eating PB and J's and hoping that maybe there's enough hot dogs and left over after the game to, to eat up in the, you know, the clubhouse from the concession stand and, and things like that. And, you know, all of the having to pay for housing, I'm going to pay for a hotel. I'm going to pay club, club fee, clubby fees and all that stuff and having money left over. Like, what am I going to do? I, I can't, I, I talk, we do it kind of tongue in cheek on Royal farm talking like the minor league horror stories of like the bus broke down on a 15 hour drive and we're doing that. Like that, that's all well and good. And it's funny to laugh about now, but I can't imagine that aspect of it. Oh, and you have to go and play a game and pray you go three for four so that you don't have to. <laughs> and then you hop on a bus and you go to the 1110 uh, game the next day. That's like kids day where they're playing baby shark in between innings. Like <laughs> the minor leagues are a grind and a half. I can't imagine that's good for anybody's mental health. Not, not at all. You're, you're spot on there. I remember showing up to uh, well, we had kids day in King County, Illinois, and, and that was actually a great day because I did okay. But it was uh, <laughs> like going back to identity, right? Your stats and your results, but uh, it was crazy. There's twelve thousand little kids and they're screaming baby shark, and you're sitting there like, dude, we just like we played a, on a twelve game bender here. I'm freaking gassed, and then we got to go perform. And oh, by the way, Tony Larusa is in the stands making decisions. It's like, hey, you go to these things, and it's, you remember we're going to Clinton, Iowa, and we walk in, and there's bed bugs. There's there's literally blood on the towel when we walk into the room, and it smells like cow poo everywhere. And good luck. You got to go face the top three prospects in the Mariners organization that weekend on the mound. And you're like, okay, I can't even see. There's no batter's eye. Like, what do we do here? So people just don't see the behind the scenes to it. But when you're going through it, it's definitely a grind. But once you get through it, man, it creates these really cool stories and memories that you can share with people and laugh about and experience. But for the mental health of, of an athlete, especially in the minor leagues, I mean, you just feel like you're forgotten sometimes. You feel like you are an outcast, even though you're still a professional in your in your sport and you're one of the, the less than 0.5% of people that ever get the chance to even do this. You still feel like you're left out and that you don't belong, you don't have value. So I think it's even more important for us to, when we're younger, is to build our foundation and our identity and things outside of the sports and use the sports as a, an avenue and a platform to go do good with. Yeah, I think the one thing that I always kind of reflect on is Baseball always has a tendency to reflect society, society, society as a whole, the good and the bad. So you think about like what the minor leaguers were going through in terms of access to housing or access to quality food. People are going through that on an everyday basis. Oh, yeah. And like that's something people can relate to every single day. And it's in like normal, common people. And so you think about those issues that like Austin talked about, like the adequate housing, like there's a correlation there between um, having quality mental health. There's studies out there that show that if you have adequate housing and you have adequate access to food, that you have better mental health and better physical health as well. And so if you think about all those things that happen in the game that are good and that are bad, they always reflect kind of what's going on in society. And that's something I've always loved baseball because of that reason. 
It, it does feel like that conversation is shifting a little bit and people are re- recognizing how difficult it is for, for minor leaguers to sustain for a full season, especially ones that, like have families. I have a buddy in, in double A right now for the Mets and he had, he's married with twin girls and he's just been grinding and, you know, in double A for the last couple of years and talks about like, you know, he goes, he comes home and does camp after camp, after camp, after camp, after camp, just to build up money so he can go and chase this thing and hopefully he can get to the big leagues. But, people talk so often about baseball being a kid's game and these, you know, these guys should be grateful that they get to go out and do this as a profession. It's like, well, you know, you gotta be, you gotta be compensated properly too, right? Like there's that mm-hmm. balance there. And I think social media has done a great job of players have a platform to show like, Hey, this is where I just stayed tonight. Like this is unacceptable. And teams are now more, they're bumping up salaries. They're doing more food stipends. They're, you know, having, they're building apartment complexes near the stadium so that you can have, you know, a four, you know, four guys in a hotel, but they each have a room or uh, like the Royals and the Rangers have their like apartment complex in surprise at the facility for the minor leaguers not having to worry about it anymore. So things like that are helping move that conversation forward, I think. And people are realizing now, like these guys need a little more help than just playing a kid's game. Yeah. And I, I think you saw the reaction by a lot of the players when, the new minor league housing policy that was put into place this year. I yep. mean, think about just getting a good night's sleep and how that can impact your performance on the field. I mean, that's huge right there in itself. Yeah, it's huge. It's good to see the uh, the conversation start to move in a good direction and see more people kind of raising that awareness and a lot of people doing things about it, which is being proactive about it. Uh, uh, so I think just like you're right, man, the good night's sleep, you keep going through it all the time and say, hey, even if I don't get a good night's sleep now, I'm still cranky in the morning, right? It's like, now you got to go face 97 with cut coming in on your hand <laughs> and a nasty breaker and oh, by the way, the three Dominicans in the bullpen are even better. <laughs> so you're like, all right, here we go, strap it on. So uh, it's definitely interesting, man, but it's, uh, it's definitely moving in the right direction. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, 
rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. I think the the one thing that you see that's happening in a lot of the different organizations is the the role of mental performance coaches. Um, we talked to a couple of them that we've had on the Major League University podcast, and they're playing a more significant role in the coaching staff for baseball teams. And yet, again, I think how uh, Kellen Lee from the San Francisco Giants, he's a minor league mental performance coach. He talked about it. it that's there's there's a blurred line between mental performance coaching and behave prof, professional behavioral health providers. Um, and so, and how the and he kind of talked about how there are two lanes on a highway, and you can kind of merge into one or the other. You can be in mental performance and try to to use your mind to help you perform better on the field, but you also can veer into needing actual behavioral health um, uh, support. And so I think there's a, it's good to have those. Uh, mental performance coaches because they're on the field with the players every day and get to develop those relationships. And if the mental performance coaches can start picking up on signs that, that, Hey, they might need more support. That can be a good referral to get people into behavioral health care. And I think more and more teams are having these people on staff. They become, uh, cause it's always about trying to get people in the door. So if you develop those relationships of trust with players, a player can feel comfortable going to a mental performance coach or going to someone where they'd be like, Hey, I need more help outside than just my performance on the field. That gives them an opportunity to all of a sudden be a referral source to the support that they need. And I think that's huge. And more and more teams are actually putting together full on full fledged mental performance uh, teams. I think the Tampa Bay Rays have someone at each level. I think there's other teams who have a little bit more capacity than others, but they're they're all starting to move towards that direction. And some teams, I think the Kansas City Royals have assistant director of behavioral health and a director of behavioral health. So they have actual um, mental health providers on staff. Yeah, I think that's it's a great role for them. And I, I remember when I was playing, we had a, I think it was called EAP, and that was the only resource that we had. The, the year after I left is when they, they started to do it with the Diamondback system. And it changed for a lot of people. It gave somebody that they can relate to. And I think that's the biggest thing is finding somebody you can relate to um, and being able to have that open conversation and dialogue with someone else outside of your coaches. Because, I mean, think about it. You go to your coach and you tell your coach this and you fear that you're not going to play or that you're going to get released or that somebody's going to define you as weak, right? Especially in male society, we try to be big and strong and put on this this big old mask and before masks were a thing. And and we, we try to, to front ourselves a little bit and not allow anybody in, right? We don't want to show any weakness. And so I think as an athlete, you never want to show weakness or that you're defeated. And that's tough for a lot of guys. So to just be able to keep the conversation going, have other people around that can be there. For me, some of my like best conversations that helped get out of my own head were the, the, the PTs and the athletic trainers, because they're totally outside of anything. They don't make the decisions, but I can just kind of have a conversation with them while I'm getting stretched out and doing some things and just have a conversation with somebody else that I felt safe with, right? I felt comfortable with. I felt like I could express how I felt in those moments. So I think just having those types of resources around and then training our coaches as well to just have some 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 things to be able to see the signs, right? And I think everybody deals with this stuff, but how can we build a foundation and how can we help each other through this process? And even just something that the like the Giants did last year with Drew Robinson, whose story is 
crazy, remarkable. He, essentially, he's now using his second chance at life to be a mental health advocate for the Giants. They He retired in the middle of the last season, and they just made a role for him. It is just a kind of like a roving mental health coach, just person to talk to, if nothing else. And I think having that resource as well is so important of just somebody that gets it. They've done the grind in the minor leagues. They played every day. They played in the big leagues. They know what it looks like to be really, really depressed and very, you know, struggling with their mental health while going out every day and and getting four at bats. And so I think having someone that he is, the fact that he is using his platform in that way is so inspiring. But the fact that Giants saw that he could do that. And allowed him to do that is just as inspiring as well. Yeah, yeah he's got one. Of, oh, sorry, no, no, go ahead, go ahead, Park. You're good. I was gonna say, yeah, he's got an extremely powerful story, and I think it it reflects on a lot of times when people are going through their mental health battles. It's not wanting to feel alone, and just having some kind of resource or some kind of community that you feel like you can go to when you're having those moments or those um, times of you just can't get out of the depression or you can't get out of the down. And I think a lot of times, if there, you can get more people in the organization that players can start trusting and feeling like they can go to every single day. I mean, we talked to the University of of Georgia baseball head coach. And he said he has the kids come into his office and talk to them one-on-one because he knows they won't talk to them about anything that's happening in their personal life on the field. Because why why, why would they want to or why would they feel comfortable doing that? So he's like, I have them come into my office and just have a heart-to-heart. Even if we don't talk about anything, we just talk about baseball. I just let them know my door's open and I just force them to come in and just talk to me. Because a lot of times that's what all what anyone needs. And Brewer Hickenland talked about it too. And he was going through his experience last year. He just needed someone to talk to. And a lot of times that's like the first step. Yeah. I love, I love that piece Burke, because you don't have to be, um, you don't have to be a sports psychologist. You don't have to be a licensed therapist. You don't have to be um, a professor, you know, like you can literally be a 12 and under travel ball baseball coach, but if you just get to know your players and help them in whatever way and just be a positive asset to them, you might be saving somebody's life. And I think that's an important piece to note is that there's a lot of coaches out there who feel like they're not qualified to go do some of these things. You're not qualified to teach meditation or qualified to teach visualization or qualified to talk on gratitude or, or whatever it might be just because of um, maybe the stigma or whatever it might be. Right. But if you have the platform, if you have people under you, you have influence. And if you have a team, if you're ahead of a team, especially a head coach or an assistant coach, you have a ton of influence over your players. And if we can use that influence in a positive way without yelling and screaming down their throat, but rather lifting them up and building them up, I mean, everybody can be a, a positive leader in this and help shape that next generation. I think that's something that we're really trying to do is, hey, great, we get to work with a lot of the college programs. It's awesome. It's been a lot of fun. We stay out of the pro ball scene for the most part, unless it's some one-on-one stuff. But it's more of like, how can we build the youth and the high school kids to give them some of those resources. Like you said earlier, Joel, somebody who's been in their shoes, who's experienced it with Coach Ray as well, being a coach and a college athlete. I'm going through the ups and downs of, of everything in that. And how can we build these kids up so when they get to that next level, they've got people that care about them. They know maybe a little bit more about themselves, more self-aware, and then they can go out and, and shine on that field and be prepared. So I think that's a big thing to know that you said, Burke, it's like, hey, open door policy. Let's like invite this in. And as a teammate, instead of just being uh, the person who's shaming each other, like pushing them aside, let's open up those conversations and those doors for us to have healthy conversations like that. And I think people can really relate to that. And that's where a lot of change starts to happen. That first conversation or like being willing to to open up like that is so hard. And that, mm-hmm. but being open and honest and ha- at least having that open door policy matters 
so much to anybody. And that's in any walk of life, right? Like just being able to say, I am struggling right now. That those, you know, five words or whatever are so hard to say to somebody. Like yeah. it, it could be your significant other. It could be your parent. It could be your sibling. It could be your coworker. But being able to just have that person that you trust, whether that's a coach, a parent, whoever, coworker, whoever it is, that's the first step in being able to heal and being able to understand, you know, know that somebody understands that you're not alone in whatever you're going through. Yeah, I, I think in Perk, I'll let you kind of hit on this too, because you're you're making like the really massive waves with the actual policies that make all of this stuff available. Like, I have so much respect for what you do. And it, it goes to just like you said, Joel, you kind of said, hey, when you're there and you can have that conversation, you can relate, it's really hard for somebody to open up. And I remember my first time trying to share my story, I thought I'd be really judged, like, like harshly judged and never welcome back. But when I opened up and was vulnerable and shared it for the first time, and I who knows where I was, I was all over the place with it. But when I opened up and shared the struggles that I've been through, I had kids coming up to me and saying, hey, like that impacted me because I feel alone today. Or I, I've, I've been dr- struggling with drug abuse and I'm, in, I'm 17 years old. Right. Like we don't even we just turn a blind eye to it and think, ah, it won't happen to our kid or it won't happen here. But the fact, the reality is there's more of this stuff going on in society today than there's ever been. And I think just with the distractions and the social medias and those types of things, it's really easy to want to put up that Instagram life and try and look like you're perfect. But in reality, I mean, none of us are perfect. We all struggle. We all have things that we we fall short on. I still do to this day, man. Like even this last week's been a challenge. Right? You sit here in the downs like we've been grinding. Right? It's been it's been crazy. And it's like, hey, but we have people around us. We have mentors that we can turn to. We have people that we can speak to. And just a great support system. My fiance is incredible. And just having people that I can just vent to a little bit and get it off my chest gets it out of my head and allows me to be a little more free. So I think just encouraging people to, to speak up. You're not going to look stupid. Be vulnerable. Like It's okay to be vulnerable. I think that's the ultimate sign of courage. Yeah, and I think the, the one thing it kind of hits on, too, is thinking about next steps and how do we help provide the tools to the people who need them that are going to be handling these situations. Because you think about college coaches, a lot of times the athletes, the first person they're going to when they're having a mental health battle, they're going to their coach. It's a person that they trust. It's, a, it's um, not their family. It's not um, anybody else. And so there's a lot of pressure that's put on those coaches in order to to handle those situations and know what the right steps are to take. And one thing that we've always kind of been advocating for in the mental health policy space is increasing training in schools for teachers and increasing training in athletics in for coaches and things like that to make sure they have the tools necessary and the resources necessary to help those kids when they're struggling with those times uh, um, of mental health battles because a lot of times is we expect every those coaches to know how to respond and a lot of they've never handled that situation before in their entire life so if we're we we're going to be destigmatizing mental health which we should be and all we want more people to talk about it we also need to provide the training and the tools that are necessary to help those who do encounter people with mental health battles and ways that they can be a resource and be helpful to the the person who's going through that struggle. Yeah, it needs to be a foundation, man. I think where we're missing is the school system. We're, we're not teaching a lot of these things. I mean, what, what would it take for every single homeroom teacher in first grade to give you the first five minutes to write down three things that you're thankful for? Every kid knows what it is. They're going to learn it. And if they don't, and they're such sponges that you can just say, hey, I'm grateful for the sun outside, for my family, and to teach you guys. And then you put a big smile on your face. The next thing you know, these kids are writing these things down. And it's 
programming, right? It's getting programmed and logged into their mind. And now when they're 13, 15, 17, it's like, hey, what happened when Miss Sally was my teacher? And, and she told us to think about the things we're grateful for because it brings us joy. Like, what if we built, like you said, Perkins, have a, a system where we can just train and give our teachers and our, our coaches just some resources to use? It doesn't have to be crazy, but just some little mini practical steps and action steps that really make a massive change. And um, that's where I, got, I see it with some private schools that are doing a really good job of this. They, they have a really good curriculum and they're teaching their kids to breathe. And, and they've noticed that their kids' stress levels have gone down. They're spending less time on their cell phones. They're having more fun together and connected with each other. And they just feel better. Right. And I think for all of us, even our family members and our parents, they can take a nugget out of this as far as like, hey, let's put the phones away and focus on the people that are right in front of us and the ones who really matter in our life. And um, just having those steps, man, I think it's so key. Yeah, that stuff would have helped a tw- like a nine, 10 year old Joel. Like you would not believe, man. Same yeah. here. I mean, I was, yeah. a, I, I was a head case. I would get super mad all the time, especially baseball. And if it didn't go my way and, uh, I always had anxiety. I didn't know what it was, though, at the time when I was in high school. And, uh, it came out more in college. And so my, my coping mechanism was just pop something else or drink something else and hope for the best. And then you're somebody different. And it's like, no, you, you be yourself, right? Like, um, learn to breathe. Like, do some meditation. I don't know. Like, get, free your mind a little bit, man. Listen to reggae and have some fun. Like, just those little things that can make a big difference. Yeah, and I think I think we're taking the, the right steps in terms of that first step in destigmatizing mental health and just getting people to talk about it more. But then once we get to that stage, it's like, okay, well, what do we do next? How do we provide resources to people so they can have access to mental health care? Um, there's, there's a lot of different things that go into that. It becomes like you can give everybody insurance, but if there's not a prov- enough providers in the workforce, there's a behavioral health care workforce shortage currently. So even though people have access to insurance, they're not necessarily going to have access to care because there's a six to eight month waiting period in order to see a behavioral health therapist, especially with the increase of um, behavioral health trends during the COVID-19 pandemic, there's more people needing care. And so a lot of the times there's a lot, the the US healthcare system for behavioral health needs just a transformation. Um, We have to figure out ways to integrate behavioral health into the primary care health setting teach people ways that and make it to a point where people are treating their mental health like they're treating their physical health. Like if you break a bone, you're going to go to the doctor. But if you have an issue with yourself mentally, you don't think, oh, I'll go to the doctor. You could do general one-year checkups for mental health. Like you do a one-year physical. So it's just trying to figure out ways, okay, how do we move the needle forward as we start to destigmatize mental health issues and make sure people are actually going out, accessing the resources, and we're actually providing the resources people need. I mean, shoot, I don't even know if 10 years ago a podcast like this is happening. Like, I think that's how quickly it's moving. I I watched, um, it was a documentary on Netflix about the malice at the palace. And they talked about Ron Artest, Meta World Peace. And they talked, and he was talking about anxiety and depression, but at the time it was, oh, he was messed up in the head or there was something going on up there. And it's like, no, that's that's depression, that's anxiety. <laughs> like there, yeah. it's not that he's a crazy person. It's not that he has all these issues. Like there was just stuff that I don't think people understood or wanted to believe were like tangible things that athletes could deal with. And like, then you saw everything that happened after that. But I just remember hearing just a couple of statements and I was like, it is wild how much the conversation in a good way has shifted between then and now. Yeah. A lot of people look at like the professional or the person with a lot of money, like, Oh, you should be grateful that you have all that. Well, yeah, you should be right. I think we all should be, but 
like the reality is, is the more money, more problems, like Biggie Small said, and it's true. Like it, it happens to everybody. It can be our kryptonite. And a lot of people chase the wrong things and they have, I don't want to say the wrong values, but uh, but maybe some misleading values that they have in their life. And, and they chase things that never bring fulfillment or gratitude or peace to themselves. Right. And I think that's a, a key to note as well. And just like you said, man, Ron Artest, like everybody thought he was crazy, but in reality, there's thousands, there's really millions of people dealing with the same things that he's dealing with today that don't want to speak out because they feel like that's the perception that's going to be hit. And so they tuck away until they keep carrying all this baggage. I heard it really, really good. And there's this pastor that spoke at one of our, our, our church settings and we're talking about anxiety and carrying baggage. And he's like, imagine you're going through TSA and I fly a lot. So it really is like a, a great picture for me. And you're going through TSA, you got your two bags, you put them up on, on the little thing going through the, the security check and, and the first bag gets through, you get through the, the metal detector. And then the second bag, ding, ding, ding. The TSA person comes over and grabs a little bag and takes you over to the corner. And you're like, uh Oh, what did I do? Right. Like, oh, great. And, the, the person opens it up and you got your blue Powerade and your barbecue seeds in there. And they said, Hey, look, you can go to your destination. You can go back to Phoenix, Arizona, but you cannot take these two things with you. You can't take that blue Powerade that you're clinging on to because you like it. You can't take those seeds with you because you love them. Like you've got to give these couple of things up and, and cut the baggage to go in and step into your next destination. And so it resembles this great analogy for like, what do we need to give up and release in order to get where we want to be or get the things that we want to feel? And I think in life, like so many people chase money and it's great. I've been a, um, a culprit of that sometimes too, but it's more of like, how can I chase that peace and that happiness? And it never comes from my stats, my results, my bank account. It comes from the people, the things that I do. I'm just being at peace with myself, right? accepting ourselves, loving ourselves, and being our own best coach, not our own worst critic. Yeah. And I think, uh, I mean, people can relate to that going through everyday work life, not just in athletics. I mean, there was a time where I based my daily, the way I felt daily on how well I did at work or how bad my work or good or good or bad my work day was every single day. And then, so it's just like you, one, as you start to get older, you'd be like, okay, well, there's more to my life than my job. You start having a partner, you start having kids, you start thinking about all these things and all these other external factors that make you so much more than you are in your nine to five or your performance on the field. There's just so much more around you and there's, there's hobbies and there's passions. There's things that are just encapsulate uh, a human um, that just make them more than the athlete or more than the, the profession, the job working professional. All right. So I don't want to talk too much in circles, but I, I think we have a, a really good foundation for a conversation here. So we can go to some final thoughts here and I'll, I'll just catch up with this question of, you know, for anybody listening here, what's the one message that you want to get across that you hope people can take from this? I think for me and, and Jared, you can speak on yours as well as like never lose that belief in yourself. Like, like never lose that belief in yourself that you can't accomplish something. I think that's so powerful. A lot of people lose that belief pretty quickly, um, whether it's somebody shoots down their dream or a parent says you can't go to this school, you got to go here uh, or whatever it might be. Right. We, we put people in this little box. Right. Think about most of the corporate settings. You go in your little cubicle and you're stuck in a box and you can't leave unless you got your two 30 minute breaks throughout a day or 15 minute breaks and a 30 minute lunch. And it's like, why don't we allow people to be free? There's a good movie. I forget the movie, but it's like, Hey, I'm Jaybird, baby. Let me fly. Like it was a really funny movie, but it resembles like, Hey, I need to get out of the cage. Let us fly. So I think never losing belief in yourself and having courage to be something different and know that if you love yourself, that's enough. 
Like you don't need to go be anything else to society. You don't need to try and look a certain way or present yourself a certain way, but just love yourself for who you are. We've all been blessed and given unique abilities and gifts and things that we do better than others or that we have that other people might not have. And let's be proud of those things instead of trying to search for everybody else's life and try and take things from everyone else. Let's just be okay with who we are. And if we're okay with who we are, then we can step out into our job, our workplace, the schools that we go to, our teams if we're an athlete, and really be okay with who we are and make a big impact on that room. Yeah, I think just to kind of build off of what Austin said, when you're okay with you, who you are, it's easier to realize that it's okay to, to not be okay. Like when you have those moments that you're down, it's okay to be in that situation. When you have moments of failure, it's okay to be mad about it or sad about it. It's just kind of how you decide to come back from it. You know, what, what route are you going to take as soon as you do have those moments of being down? And I think that it's just realizing that there's going to be people around there to support you and realize that there are resources out there for you. And just remember that it's always okay to not be okay. And that there would, there'll be a way out. Yeah. I think that the biggest thing I want people to, to know is that you are like, there's always someone to talk to. Yeah. There is always somebody in your life, whether you know them well or not, that will sit there and, ha and have a conversation with you. And I can be that person to anybody. My DMS are open. If you need to talk to some, if you need to talk, um, about whatever you're going through. I'm, I'm there. I'm not going to, you know, any, give you any crazy life advice of using a sounding board, then, then that's what I'm there for. So for everybody that listened to this, thank you very much. I hope this found you well. I hope this finds somebody uh, that maybe needs to hear this conversation. If you know someone needs to maybe hear this conversation, send this to them. Uh, be sure to follow everything we're doing here at, uh, at KCSN. Austin, Jared, I really appreciate you guys tonight. Thank you so much. Joel, you're awesome. What an amazing mission you got going on, man. We appreciate you spending some time with us and, and having this conversation and for what you're doing to spread awareness for this and all the great things you guys are doing over there. So uh, we appreciate you, man. Thank you. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.